Hi, this is Mark Robert Halper, and you're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 35 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, the website that introduces photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. Tonight, I am coming to you live from a really, really, really bad Skype connection. Skype. So, so if I sound funny, that's what's going on. We, we're currently recording this in the in the first big winter storm that we have here, and it's um, yeah, all I hear is static. And Bill says I, I'm making some cool Skype warbles. So, <laughs> the Skype effect. Yeah, so hopefully it won't be too bad and we can get through this quickly and get us right into the unique new episode of The Light Source. I am totally fired up about this one. And me too. It was really fun to be on the phone call with it, so I'm, I'm really anxious to hear uh, any response from uh, everyone out there. Uh, what we're going to do is we have Mark Robert Halper back again, because um, I never get tired of talking to him. Nope. So he has a gallery of images that uh, you can find a link to it from studiolighting.net. And what you could do is pull that up, and we're going to talk about every image in that gallery one by one. Yeah, it's, and I think, I mean, you, if you're not near a computer, I think that's okay, because we cover a lot of really cool material, and you have to use your imagination a little bit when we talk about specific images, but uh, you can always go back to the gallery, and, and everything will kind of click for you. But if you have a chance to sit next to your computer while we talk about these images, um, I think it's absolutely going to be something more visual than we've ever done. Yeah, I think so. Too. It's a it's a interactive podcast here. <laughs> right. I learned a lot of information from this podcast, and um, it, I always love hearing from Mark. And I, he seeing an image, and then you think that you in our heads we'd say, "Oh, well, that was done this way," and then you would come back and around and say, you know, either yeah, we were right, or well, no, it, it was actually completely different than that. And, right. Yeah, it was like five different exposures in one, and we did this and that, and it, it's just really cool to, to hear all the stuff that he, he talks about. He really uh, gives up a lot in this one. Yeah, so also, I just wanted to mention, if you guys like this episode, let us know. Either email us at to uh, studiolighting at gmail.com or head on over to dig.com and dig like this episode of the show. Um, just somehow let us know that you enjoy this format, and we'll we'll try to arrange more of these. Or if you don't like it, you know, let us know as well, so we can uh, yeah, don't waste sure. our time. That's right. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but um, yeah, we're definitely curious to see what everybody else there out there thinks about this format. Yeah, that'll be cool to see. Um, but I mean, there's well, I'm assuming there's nothing going on in the news because I can't pull up a web browser and and find anything right now because of the the storm. <laughs> What's well, my chance to? To plug a bunch of Nikon stuff, then, if you if you don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. I did find one little thing. If For most of the Nikon fans out there, if you are thinking about buying a new laptop or computer and you're going to have Windows Vista, you can rest assured your NEF files, your raw uh, image files, will be read with a little codec that they've published. So they've allowed that in Vista. So, yeah, other than that, though, um, there's not a whole lot going on. I, well, Hasselblad released a new camera, which will probably be the, the next one I pick up. Okay. Not <laughs> a twenty-five thousand uh, dollar H three D thirty-one, which is a thirty-one See, megapixel. So this camera costs more than my car. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, 
Mine too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but uh, hey, it takes it takes one picture every 1.2 seconds, which is a new speed record for these large megapixel large. Well, it's not a large format sensor, but these large DSLRs, I guess. That that is just. I keep thinking about what you do with all those files that you know that large crazy a hundred megabyte file just isn't enough oh, i no. need more it's amazing but anyway it's out there and if you were shopping for a new hasselblad uh something to check out i would also increase the, the iso rating to 800 which i guess is some new, more new territory for them well that would have been useful for a shoot this past weekend that i was on i actually got to explore some of the the higher iso ranges of the 5d oh yeah how'd that go Pretty well, actually. I was really pleased with a lot of uh, the images that I had shot. Uh, some of them are on Flickr, right? Yeah, I put some of them on Flickr. I'll stick a couple of them in the uh, light source pool. I think they look good. Thanks. Uh, it was a totally, totally different environment than I'm used to shooting in. Um, it was the Plug Awards up in New York City, and it was an independent uh, music awards show that really ended up just kind of resembling a concert is what it was like. That's cool. Yeah, it was it was really fun. I learned of uh, a lot of new bands. Yeah, I've had to collect some CDs now because of it. Yeah, it was really really interesting you know, being in the photo pit, being right up against the stage. It, you know, I got to shoot with my standard lens, you know, my twenty twenty eight seventy five instead of having to stick on a telephoto. And then it was just a matter of timing the lights and watching the lights and seeing what was going on. Some of my shots that I, I look at now and I go, oh, that one's like a full silhouette, and then there'll be another one where I'm like, oh, okay, there's where there's the nice blue right. stage lighting, and then I look at the EXIF data, and they're like three seconds apart. Oh, that's cool. So it was a lot of uh, shooting on burst mode, but really concentrating on trying to follow the pattern of what was happening with the, the color patterns of the lights on stage and like saying, oh, okay, here comes the red next. And then wait for that to cycle around and pop it. And there were a couple times where there were, uh, they had these bright white strobes, you know, almost like a, uh, you'd see in like a dance club type strobe that just kind of flashes and kind of like, you know, the ones you see like the stop action in videos or at a dance club or something like that. And through some of the more aggressive bands, they were just going off. And I just kind of got my composition set up, put the camera in burst mode and kept firing and hoping that. I would catch a light popping in the right direction, and it's kind of funny because I have like the same pose. That's it's extremely harsh lit from like in one shot, it's like behind the guy's head, and then the next shot, it's the exact same pose, hard lit from the left, and then hard lit from the right, and then hard lit from kind of behind. It's like, oh, it's funny. When you put them together, you can almost you can almost see the light cycling around. That's kind of cool. That is cool. I know we have some listeners that will appreciate your, your weekend because I know we, we've got some emails from folks who do a lot of concert photography. It's a challenging environment. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's not easy. I could definitely see shooting that again and trying some, some different things with it. Hey, man, you're going to be a rocker. <laughs> I could deal with that. That's cool. That was fun. Well, um, we should probably not battle on too much we should hop into this interview because it's a it's a good one and we don't we want to save as much time as we can for it so hope you guys enjoy this leave us some feedback in the Flickr group or dig us on dig.com or leave us a comment on itunes or just send us an email and say hey Well, on this episode of The Light Source, we have with us another repeat guest, actually a three-peat guest. Uh, we have with us again this evening, Mark Robert Halper. Thanks, Mark. Glad to be here. So we're going to do something a little bit different this evening. Um, do you want to describe for the audience what we're going to do? 
Yeah, well, we figure I've talked enough without having anything to refer to. So what I did is I picked a bunch of images, about 80 images, that I've shot over pretty much the last three, four, maybe five years, put them in a big web gallery, and these guys are going to go through and choose images and ask me to talk about them and how I did them, and it's kind of a how-to. So everybody who's listening can just go one image to the next and see what we're talking about, and I'm going to post it on my website. And here is the address, studiomark.com slash podcast gallery. Studiomark is one word, mark with a K, dot com, uh, the forward slash podcast gallery, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-G-A-L-L-E-R-Y, no spaces anywhere. And, of course, you can get to links to that gallery from studiolighting.net for the show notes for this show. We're excited about this episode because it's going to be a little more visual, and we're hoping that folks can follow along. If you are not able to be at your computer, I still think you'll learn something, but you definitely want to go back and check out the gallery whenever you get a chance. All right. I'm going to fire off the first one. Let's start with an uh, image of Randy Jackson. That is not a coincidence that that's up there first. If <laughs> one image I wanted to talk about, that was it. Um, I shot this for a company that makes guitar strings. We didn't know how long we had him for. We probably would have had him for longer if we would have needed him. He was a really great, easy-to-work-with guy. But we knew that we had to be set up and ready to go. We were shooting inside of a recording studio, which is in Hollywood, Jim Henson Productions. It's a really cool studio. There's a big Kermit the Frog out front. <laughs> nice. Um, there were all these microphone booms. And what you see in the shot of the microphone booms, they were just essentially in storage in a room more or less behind the recording studio that opens up into it. So I like the feel of them. I use my client as a stand-in, stuck in them in the middle, and slowly move these booms around until they placed well. Shot short depth of field, took one strobe, bounced it into the wall, that's camera left. And for those of you who don't know, you're looking at it, it's the side that you see is left. That's the light hitting him and the light hitting most of the booms. There's a second light or two, it doesn't really matter, they're just direct heads, pointing into the room behind him, blowing it out for the most part. So it's mostly white, but if you look on the left side, you can kind of see there's some texture back there too. In the far distance behind him, I took some of these booms and ran them at angles to give the background a little bit more dimension. That's cool. So that's what you're seeing there. It was framed very carefully. I like it as a square but it actually was formatted to be a standard full page. And if you take a look, you realize you can crop the sides, and it fits a full page really, really nicely. No, I, I totally would have thought this was natural light. You just, it's amazing, like the, light, the white balance and everything. It looks wonderful. Do you have gels on any of these lights, or did you no, have... No, I just bounced the light. I don't recall using any gels on this. So you just overpowered whatever room light might have been there, and you Completely. just... Completely. There was no significant room light in the shot. That is... That's it would have been cool. a virtually black frame had the strobes not gone off. <laughs> that's great. Wow. I, yeah. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> did you have any issues with booms casting any odd shadows on the face, and was that just a matter of Tons placement? Tons of them. Tons of... Yes. There were absolutely issues with the booms casting shadows or making face or body darker, and it was all very, very carefully placed. Okay. Exactly where he was going to be, exactly where the booms were, trying to make them work in relationship with each other. 
the one that's on the right side, putting it just the right out of focus where it still reads. I like the glow that kind of happens over him. It took about an hour and a half, maybe two, to set this shot up and get everything in place the way we wanted it. Wow. And it's amazing. When you see something like this, it's like you almost, at a glance, you might think that it's like a candid, but it's not. It's, it's like you said, it's completely crafted. Oh, yeah. Lockdown camera. You move the camera a little bit, the shot falls apart. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's cool. Well, Bill, did, did you want to call out a number now? Yeah, let's check out number nine. Um, oh, so everybody knows, it's a guy in an office leaning against the wall reading a book. That's the image we're talking about. Yes. Yep. Um, done for an architectural firm. Co-architects is what they're called now. And the original setup was he and a woman looking at the papers on the wall on the right that he's leaning against, the people in the background talking, and as far as what actually happened, we took a break for a moment. He turned around, kind of leaned back against the wall and started looking for the book. And that was a much better, more interesting shot than all the work I had done to create the other version of this. <laughs> so that's what I ended up using in my book and as, as my preferred shot. I think I used the other one, too, but I like this one much better. Lighting-wise, I wanted the sense of a bright window behind them. Well, no matter how little light you use, the lights tend to overpower what's out the window or at least not come close to it because the windows are tinted so that not too much light comes through. So what we did is, fortunately, there were a lot of desks and things behind them. We took two direct heads, and we shined light into everything back there. And the only thing that we did is we added a panel or two to block where the windows were because that would have been the dark area. So we threw a lot of light back there. It didn't matter that it was irregular. In fact, you can see some stuff. Uh, the guy in the background behind his leg that's a little bit of shape and just blew that out. Wow. So that was the background light, and that was the main light. I think we used an umbrella in on the left side. Uh, well, on the right side, you see kind of a doorway. Yes. You see yellow through it. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's a corresponding passageway on the left side. We put an umbrella in there with a little bit of light to just sign, sign some light in there to give it dimension. And then I filmed him with a big, broad, soft light. I think we were shooting through a big panel or something that was essentially up above the camera. And I tried to fill him as little as I could so that it didn't have much of a sense of light and it was fairly even, but it felt imbalanced with the bright light behind him. Wow. And that was actually a more complicated shot and one I'm kind of proud of. It's very cool. I want to shift over to another shot. I'm just going to go one over to shot eight. Okay. Which is the woman who's leaning against the yellow wall. And I'm doing this to make a point. These were both part of the same shoot. They're both architects. The other shot was completely lit. The shot is all natural light coming in through a window. That's all we did, and we shut off the lights there. And the shot works on composition. And if you look on her left, you'll see the window behind there glowing. And that gives it a lot more dimension. But the shot works on composition. It was as simple as the other one is complex. <clears throat> now, with this image here where you say it's all natural light, did you use any, any sort of reflectors or anything like that to, to enhance the shadows at all? Or was it completely as you saw it? You know, I don't think we did anything. I think we made sure that the fluorescents over her were turned off. So it was just the window light. 
not all the not all the lighting setups here are complicated. Right. They really vary, which is part of the point. Well, I think it's really interesting. The one that you mentioned with the man in the hall, the one we just talked about. You mentioned that the the windows became the dark spots because you couldn't. I mean, if you put light on them, they would pretty much go through. <laughs> is that what you meant? So you put panels there to block. Exactly what I meant. Yeah. That's really cool. Now that day, was it a lot of like trial and error, or were you just did you totally set this up and then just, then get everybody in? I knew what I was doing. I knew how I wanted to do it. So it's not a lot of trial and error in terms of how to approach the shot, uh-huh. but a fair amount of trial and error in terms of the intensities of the lights and getting everything to balance. Turn something up a little, turn something down a little bit, take a look at it, really figuring out where everything was set. And this would have been much harder on Polaroid. The instant feedback of digital is extremely useful. And when I shoot digitally, I always shoot into a laptop so I can really see what's there. It's something I learned in my workshops. I've I start to, started to make people shoot into their laptop whenever possible. That's great. Or check their image on their laptop because you can see so much more than you do in the back of the camera. And just doing that kind of gave everybody a little nudge towards taking better photos because they could really see what they were getting when they were shooting it more effectively. You didn't ha- you didn't have that disappointment like you get back from a great shoot and turns out that your shadows were way underexposed or you know something like that that you can't really see. It really takes that out. Yeah. It's a good idea to calibrate your laptop too. Even no though it won't calibrate that well, it'll still get it close enough that you can get it right on a real monitor. That's cool. Sure. In terms of a technical aspect, with a lot of these lights that you have behind, like the background light is, you know, behind like these booklets and the the little passageway where you had the umbrella light for the other one, how do you ensure that all of those um, trigger off of, uh, are you running pocket wizards or do you have some sort of... I've uh, got, well, at the time I had one transmitter and one receiver and everything else was was strobed. Now I've got two receivers and that really seems to help. Because generally having two packs fire in a controlled way is enough to fire the entire set. Okay. Everything will be close enough to something to do it. But I think we did lose some shots to not quite getting the strokes to fire. And the packs are sitting as close to being in the shot as they can be without being in the shot. Gotcha. I was curious about that because I've been running into some of that myself with my slave not being exactly in the best place to pick it up. I'll tell you the first trick with a shot like this. You won't always notice if it doesn't fire in the back and you can roll if it doesn't fire in the front. The really bright lights are the back lights. So I slave my background very often. I slave the light that's most likely to not be noticed if it doesn't fire. So that's where it starts and then it moves forward. Oh, okay. And that works pretty well for a shot like this. So the transmitter was on the far away light that's slaving to the other two, and that far away light is by far the brightest. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I guess I should have thought of that logically, but I guess that does make the most sense. The, the light that's the most important should be the one that you're triggering. Let's hit another image. Yeah, let's grab another one. This is fun. Uh, let's see. I, I'm I'm fond of the, the older couple here, uh, image number 33. Okay. Let's Senior, talk about the first most important concept here. I used to have a lot of trouble doing portraits that had more than one person in it. And the problem that I kept running into is I've got these two people and I'm trying to take one picture of two things. And one picture of two things really work. So 
what I decided to do and the way I've changed my approach is I no longer shoot individual people if there's more than one. I shoot couples. I shoot relationships. I shoot them as one entity, be they business partners, and I think of them that way and treat them that way. And I find that the images come together much more effectively, which is what this is about. The coloring's great because you have kind of oddly colored windows, and then you've got some fluorescent lights. The windows have gone very blue because light hitting them is fairly bright, and I believe tungsten um, shining through something soft. So a few tungsten lights behind a panel or, or a flux fill, I don't recall which. You have a little bit of green fluorescent light, but not too much, that's hitting the walls. The windows are an unusual shape, which gives me the great shape over their heads. Technically fairly simple. The depth of the background, I really lucked out. So that's 33. From the same project, because it's very similar, image 35 okay. is very similar lighting. Light bounced into a wall next to them, tungsten light, balanced more or less for that, and then blue light coming in through windows, camera left, and camera right, you had lights literally inside the hallway, and the ceiling was at an angle. So it's doing the same thing. They're both about lighting the people a little bit tungsten and letting the background do what it's going to do with the natural light and the out-of-focusness that can be so beautiful. Okay, so this is mixed lighting. You have uh, your, your artificial light or the light that you're using on subject then is tungsten light. Tungsten light. Okay. Uh, for, the, for the couple, it's shooting through a panel. And then for the guy who's kind of wearing the jacket with all the blue behind him, the wall was right next to him. So we took two or three dados and just hit the wall next to him and let, let the light bounce back and hit his face. The same exact principle. Same client. Would you, when you're shooting tungsten, I guess it kind of works out and you can sort of see it in the, in the image of the couple, but you're using a pretty shallow depth of field. Is that because the apertures that you're shooting at for the, to get the tungsten light? I shoot shallow depth of field whenever I possibly can. Okay. Because she's not looking at the camera and he is, it's okay that she's soft. Okay. His eye becomes the focal point. When I, when I had them do it the other way and he was looking down at her and she was looking at camera, then I focused on her. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it totally works as an image. I, I think it's, it's cool how she sort of becomes a supporting element in the, in the photo of him. I mean, you can see their relationship. The relationship is a subject, not so much him or her. That's it. It's pretty cool. Oh, and the backgrounds? If that had been in focus for either of these backgrounds, it would have been ugly and distracting. Actually, let's talk real quickly about your um, shallow depth of field that you're doing here. How are you achieving that? Are you doing that with a longer telephoto, or are you, you going like F1.8? Um, well, I'm shooting everything you see here is medium format. Okay mostly shot with my H1 digitally. Most of what I do with these kinds of images, I'm probably using a 100 millimeter lens and it's a 2.2 and I bet I shot it between 2.2 and 2.4. Okay. So whenever possible, I am all the way open and I lose lots of images to being out of focus. <laughs> so I take lots of images. Another good reason to have the laptop there. Yeah, to make sure. I like to make sure I have at least one or two publishable images before I release my subjects. Okay. And you, if you had a choice between like a chin or eyes, you're going for the eyes to be in focus, obviously. If the eye closest to the camera needs to be in focus. If the eye closest to the camera is tack sharp, the shot's in focus. 
If it's not, it's out, unless there's a very specific reason for something else to be in focus that's an unusual creative choice. Let's check out another image. I'd like to talk about 39, which is the guy with the wine. Drinking a wine glass? Oh, good. That's one I wanted to pick anyway. Okay. Uh, you've heard of Fleming Steakhouse or P.F. Chang's? Yes. Yes. Okay. Paul Fleming. This is Paul Fleming. That's where the P.F. is from in P.F. Chang's. Okay. He's the guy who, can, who conceptualized these restaurants. He was doing an interview, and I had to shoot him while he was talking. My goal here, which most people think that I met, was for the light to look very natural and very believable. I didn't want it to feel lit. Because if I wanted that feeling, I would have probably used a more dramatic light. But I wanted the sense that it was really in the restaurant. So I looked around the restaurant, with, and I, I tried to figure out where the light was coming from. And what I realized were there were these lights overhead that are spotlights that are coming down and hitting the tables. So I took the two closest tables, shined a strobe light on each one. I only had four heads with me. And that's the light that's hitting him in the entire foreground is actually coming from table-level lighting him. You, so you had lights on the actual table? Yeah, I designed it. I used the, the tables as light sources. That, wow. was, that was the light source in the room. So I mimicked that. <laughs> I took, um, I just take an umbrella, and I'll use umbrellas and you can't see the quality of light. And I tossed some light up into the area that you see behind him in the upper right corner, that kind of yellow area with the oranges, too, because that needs a little bit of brightness. Now, the fun part is the wind, all that light coming through there. That is basically a bookshelf kind of wall where it's open on both sides. So what I did is I used the same principle I used on the other shot, where I took a direct head and I blasted out what was behind there, except what I did is I took a gold panel or two and I put them so when you look with your eyes and not with the camera, what you see is you see the gold panel through there. The reason for that is even though it blows out, if you look at the edges of those wine bottles, especially the ones you see in the shape that's made by his hand, mm -hmm. you'll see there's a lot of warmth around them. Right. That's where the gold really has an effect and gives it a lot more dimension. And I had gold panels, so it was something warm I could use to blow it out. I probably also could have used tungsten gels on the strobe. I didn't. This is, I think, maybe slightly different and better. And by making that very bright, it makes him feel a little bit dark. You hit it when you said you wanted to make it look like he was just in the restaurant. It, it looks amazing. The key to this was figuring out what was already happening in, in the natural environment. Yeah. That's great. And there's something else that I wanted. I tripod almost all my shots, but because he was talking and because that's what the magazine wanted as a sense of, of interview, these were handheld. And, you know, I sometimes drink, he'd sometimes talk. I got a lot of different things. But by shooting it handheld and framing and doing that a little bit on the fly, it gave it a kinetic energy that makes it more believable that it was a captured shot, too. Yeah, definitely. It's incredible. You look at a lot of this stuff that seems like, like as you said, it seems like a candid or it seems like it's something that you've just captured that you've seen, but it's it's incredibly crafted. Thank you. I would say um, you, don't, you don't know how many times I go to set up a shoot and, and I'll say to myself, all right, credible, interesting, or flattering? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, exactly. We should tell people about that and make them listen to the old podcast. Yeah, that's... Oh, we'll just leave it at that and they can go back for detail. 
It's, it's two, eighteen, and nineteen. Are those the numbers? Yeah, I think so. Go back and check out those those episodes if you want to know what we're talking about. It's worth listening. To. Oh, you Actually, know, I, I was... want to hit a, a, another one because I like to alternate some of the really simple ones okay. with some okay. of the complex ones. Seventy-two image of a black gentleman with a green shirt and a suit jacket. Okay. Um, very simple. Two lights bounced into the wall. One more behind him, so it's kind of a flashlight on the left, but still very large, so it's soft, and it doesn't have that ugly snoot, the photographer set it up, flashlight look. <laughs> and then a light to his side, much larger source, also bounced into a wall, probably done with my Home Depot lights, I'm certain it was. About a fifteenth of a second handheld, and just the right blur. Yeah. And just that's... the right amount of movement, and a sense of motion in him, and a sense of motion in the shot. Um, and then behind him, I want to say it was uh, a green background with some brown chiffon on it. And then I think we were shining some light through something to give a little bit of dimension in the background. Maybe the, a, a data light hitting the chiffon, so in parts it gets a little bit brighter and darker Okay. to create that unevenness. Which really adds a lot of dimension. Yeah, it definitely helps them pop off of the background. What caught me about this image right away was, was how that motion just really adds... Adds a sense of you know motion to the image, but it's it's just enough. Like you said, it's pretty subtle. It doesn't give me a sense like it's not something you would have deleted from your card because it's blurry. It's it actually makes the image better, which is I think a tricky thing. Yeah, that was the intent, but it took a lot of incorrect blurry images to make it work. Okay, but who cares? Yeah, now, absolutely. Now I have a question for you. What was this image? I guess used for. He's a musician. He's he's a. This is. One of several shots we did. We did three shots for him. Um, this is the one I hope he uses on the cover of his CD, but they were done for the CD inside, back, and, and of course, cover. And this is my favorite, and this is the one I hope he uses on the cover. I know personally, I wouldn't think to go with something like this. I, I tend to equate emotion or a, a blur of this kind to be an error in something that I would have shot. But obviously, this completely works. Where do you come up with the concept to, to, to give that a shot? I probably started with a mistake at one point, and I went, that was cool. <laughs> Good enough for me. <laughs> the Ben Project plays into about the same amount of motion and the same shutter speeds, and it's similar in that way. Where the lights are different here, but there's, there's a technique there that's the same, and I like what things do to 15 to the second handheld. I like that amount of motion. You still have to be tack sharp in your focus on the eye, and then what you get is a sharpness with a streak, and it looks great, which is completely different than out of focus. The fact that there's motion doesn't mean you can't be tack sharp. In fact, it doesn't mean you don't have to be. You usually do. You want to hit the next one? Yes. Let's talk about number 79. It's a African-American woman on a cell phone. Appears to be lit up by the sun, like maybe she's under a canopy or something. She's under a canopy, and she's lit by the sun. It's actually both true. <laughs> I called that. The canopy affected it very much, but she is under a canopy. It's probably why there's so much dark over her. Uh -huh. She's lit by the sun, and the interesting light that's falling around her face is because the sun is hitting the shirt that she's wearing, and there's light bouncing back up from that shirt. It's that simple. It's just straight sunlight. It wasn't actually planned. I was going to shoot it with softer light, and I kind of put her in place, and I might have even tried a shot or two with the softer light, but I saw the sun, and I realized that was much better. Which is something that we talked about on one of our other shows. Sometimes you just realize that something's already there. That's much more than what you thought you were going to bring to the to the image. 
Yeah. Did you? How did you deal with the contrast between the bright sunlight and the overhead? Did, did you have to fill anything to get so that the, the forehead didn't completely blow out? I think we might have had a little bit of fill. Yeah, I'm pretty certain that we did some fill. And medium format digital tends to have a larger contrast range than 35. Okay. And that was certainly to our advantage. Sure. But the, there are parts of it that have absolutely blown out. And I'm not worried about the fact that pieces of her shirt are blown out as long as I get that whole range on her face. That's just part of the shot. And that's what I was mostly concerned with as well. I was like the, I know that I have some shots that I've taken sim- in similar conditions, but they'll be like the, if you look at the histogram, you'll see that blinking forehead where you just, <laughs> you just know it's like, oh, crud. <laughs> I looked at, yeah, I looked at the histogram, I saw it pop up and, I was very careful about what information I decided was important. So I grabbed what I needed. That's a cool image. There's also an image with, I think, the same model, but it's an yep. indoor shot. Is that um... Same model, same job. I'm going to give the client a plug because they were so cool. And it's a great idea. It's a company called Laser Shield. And what they've got is they've got this it's a home security system in a box. You plug it into your phone line. It's a few hundred bucks. You see it in the shot of her at night. That's the main unit. And you don't have to get a whole security system. It's all based on motion sensors. It was a good product, and it made it easier to do a good shoot. Um, and it was just a great idea. Anyway, nighttime. Nighttime's hell. It took me years <laughs> to figure out how to fake night. Fake. This is fake night. This is, well, it's shot at night. But it had to look like it was shot at night. Okay. She's lit mostly by the lamp, so it's, it's a practical light. The lamp's there. You can't fake light from a light source that's in the shot and have it come from somewhere else. It always looks wrong. You always see the light source casting a shadow. Mm. So I think we put a brighter bulb in there to get a little bit more. Okay. Now, the outside was fun. I wanted what light does outside at night. So what I did is I took some data lights, which are little focus spotlights that are hot lights, and put them down low because most night light is low. There are lights on the ground. And shot them through some plants, through the window, and it's hitting the curtain. That's why it looks like night light. I replicated what they do. Okay. Behind her, and you can't really see it so much. You see a little bit of the green through between her hands and her chin. Mm-hmm. I actually lit up a tree with some strobe. I think that the hot lights are just not bright enough. Um, now, the trick was how to get that nice blue glow on the unit without getting light on her. So here's what I did. I took a light, I took um, a flex fill, just a regular round flex fill, and I set it at an angle where if she looked at it, all she saw was the profile of it, so it was thin and negligible. Yet, when you looked at it from the point of view of the unit, the unit saw the round part, or most of it, so it was getting light. I took tungsten lights, put heavy blue filters on them, and something I started doing more and more is just using my strobe units, using the modeling light in them, because it's a perfectly fine 250-watt light, and I'm already carrying them. Their tungsten lights already in my kit, (laughs) so I used those, and I threw some blue gel on them. So she doesn't get hit by that blue light, but this completely reflects it. Yeah. So you're talking about like a pan reflector. Yeah. They're um, Dynalite. So 
it's basically flat. But yeah, any any normal reflector okay. that just makes the light go relatively forward. And make sure it's not hitting her and only hitting the panel. And that was it. What do you want to hit next? Well, let's let's try something that Bill and I were talking about before the show, and we both have our uh, our suspicions on how this one was done. Number forty-four. Why don't you two guess at it, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. This is a an office shot, a product shot, where you see a computer screen, a Samsung LCD. You see an office, a guy in blur in the background by a copier. So Bill's first reaction was, "Can you really shoot that on screen?" And, and still capture that, or is that no, or is that photoshopped all. in there? They built that. I after the, I got the ad and they sent me the PDF. I snagged that off their PDF and stuck it on the screen for me. Okay, okay, okay. So we got that part. You got that, that part. <laughs> so Bill, you get a credit for that. Okay, star for me. Star for Bill. Um, the rest of this setup is is really nice. I love the the complimentary of the blue background with the blue screen. I'm assuming it was gelled. In the background. Uh, background, either foreground was gelled, warm, and then I color balanced for it, or the background was gelled blue. Doesn't really matter. But one or the other was gelled, so there's a difference in, in light color. So the contrast of the cool and the warmth, I mean, just does a wonderful job of uh, setting off the desktop setup. If I wanted to produce something similar to this, but maybe I want the background to be a little bit more filtered, where it's it's definitely more of an effect. Would you be better off filtering on your lens? There's no point ever in filtering on a, on a lens with a digital camera. You're always going to gray balance. Right. So if you're always gray balancing, anything you put in, your, in front of your lens, you're taking out and you're just degrading your light. You're taking away range of light. Makes okay. sense. And it'll affect the whole shot. It won't just affect the foreground or the background. What you need to do is either warm the background, so I either add blue to the background or add warm to the foreground, do a gray card, and then adjust your color temperature until it hits the point where you like it. Cool. What was the lighting setup on this particular shot? Because there's a lot going on there. And then maybe you could mention again what you think your shutter speed might have been because you got just enough blur again on the guy walking through the hall. Around a 15th. Okay. It would have been something very close to that. Now, here's something interesting to understand about this that I did for the client. I set this whole shot up the way you see it. So everything is in perspective and true. Everything is lit and true. It's not one shot and another shot somewhere else. Right. So it really looks believable. And then what we did is we put white behind the monitor and the table. I focused on the monitor and shot the monitor and the table. Took a few frames of that to be safe. So I have a shot with the monitor and the table in place on white. We pull the monitor and the table out. We then focus on the background, which they want sharp, mm. and we shoot the background as a separate element. The reason is I can increase my depth of field as long as I can get the background fully sharp and the foreground fully sharp and nothing falls out of focus in between. You believe it? The other thing it enables them to do is it enables them to play with placement of where the foreground and the background touch each other or if they wanted to do slight sizing changes okay. to help them better compose the ad. That was an interesting trick. Wow. So you would deliver them several images that could be put together to build the scene back to, you know, but it's but you're not really you're not manipulating too much. We delivered one final Photoshop file. What we did is we cut around the monitor and the table 
made that one layer, so we dropped out the background completely and then left the background the way it is. Now, I've got a caution for people because this shoot was very, very expensive for me in Photoshop. Right. I did two shots, um, and I spent about $500 because I neglected to clean my sensor. Oh, no. And it was really bad, and I had no idea and didn't see it on my laptop. <laughs> it was a valuable lesson learned. Wow. But you don't see it when you're shooting at 2.8. You see it when you're shooting at 22. <laughs> Dust on your sensor and the little things there, they jump out at you at high at, at high stop. Oh, lighting-wise, some kind of a hot light on the foreground. I put behind him is frosted glass, so I bounced into that room. Oh, in the room behind Probably him. Probably with hot lights because he's in motion. And I threw some light, also camera left, into something big and white to bounce back. Okay. You want to hit another one? Yeah, yeah sure. definitely. There's, you know what I'd love to talk about? And I'm just going to hit it briefly because it's complicated. 59. All the people on the escalator. Oh, that was a great shot. Yeah, that's okay. nice. That's a cool image. This is a huge composite, which I don't do a lot of, and it was plant. Meaning I didn't, after the fact, do much in Photoshop to fix it. I shot the elements the way I knew I would need to shoot them. What you're looking at in terms of the escalator, the master shot is everybody on the right side of the escalator. The left side is almost all the same people from the right side, <laughs> shot right after. We changed their clothing. We <laughs> took cool. the bald guy and one other woman and added them in because the bald guy is the most noticeable guy. Yeah. We did different things with hair, but we did all sorts of stuff. So one, same people on both sides. It's less model releases you have to have signed. Uh, yeah, and less <laughs> people have to say. Um, <laughs> the monitors on the ceiling weren't there. Uh, we had one monitor shoot. Oh, wow. We shot that as a separate element, holding it roughly in place so the same light was hitting it. Huh. The bar holding it up is a C-stand that was up there that we shot. Wow. And just elongated, but we took a good section and elongated it out. We just needed a bar. And then the little things that are on the elevator to keep you from sliding down, my, my uh, person took that and she turned them upside down and used them on the top to hold it in the ceiling. <laughs> I was just going to uh, ask where that cool. piece came from. The brown thing behind the girl on the top on the left, I actually made her raise that because it was cutting right into the center of her head. And fortunately, and I always do this, we had frames without any people. Mm. So she had that as a complete element that she could clone from and work with. Oh, you nice. always want to do shots like this This without people, so she has the elements. Wow. The area where it's blown out on the left side, I shot that underexposed, and she took that, and that was a completely blown out area, and used some information from the darker exposures to give it a little bit more texture. Still blown out but not without character. Okay. On the right side there, but beside the people going right up. Yes. Okay. And then the last thing she did is I had her select out the people, and the, the people and the stairs on each of the escalators, except the guy who's standing up who's not actually on it, and give them a very, very slight blur, essentially an up-down blur, hmm. because if I were shooting the people on the escalators... Even with a fast shutter speed, there would just have been the tiniest amount of motion to them. And that way it would feel like it was in motion rather than not moving, which was the case. That is cool. 
the posing oh, is man. excellent too. I mean, when you pose oh, this many people, off. yeah, I was going to ask it. We worked our ass off. We set it up. We adjusted people. We were careful. We were careful that the phone he's on, it was for Samsung. It's a Samsung phone. Nice. Now, they put their own images in there. I grabbed some bed project images from my site and put them in there. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I, was, I thought they looked familiar. Oh, and the light, except for some strobes up at the top, and not very much, is almost all natural. Okay. Disney Hall is a great location, and they've got natural light. It's wonderful. When you pose this many people, do you what do you pay attention to? Just head placement first, and then head body placement, second. Body placement, where their legs are, where their shirts are. Okay. The stylus is running up, pulling on things, adjusting things. Okay. Who has their hands on what? Who's holding hands? Every little detail we can see. Where their heads intersect with other people's bodies. Right. So that it, it doesn't cut. It's very very hard. So you just want to make sure things like elements aren't going into people's heads and. Mm-hmm. So I bet there's a lot of time in between frames then. You just kind of... Well, you get it right and you shoot a bunch and then you look again and you went, oh, well, those weren't any good and you fix something else and you shoot a bunch. Okay. And you're looking, you're hoping for one good frame for each side of the escalator and the client actually sat there, picked the frame she wanted from each side so that we'd be able to take it and composite them. Okay. Probably what you want to try to avoid is, is doing uh, composites with two shots on one side of the escalator because of the complex textures and things each side is a single image okay okay so the two people don't touch at any point so i wanted everybody on one side to work and then everybody when they went to the other side to work in one frame that's cool so that things could be easily cut around and assembled that was very well thought through it's a great i job. wanted to photoshop i didn't want anything to have to be built I don't like people have to make things up in Photoshop. I want to give them all the elements with the lighting correct on those elements. So that if it's supposed to be here, it is here. You're just going to attach it to the ceiling. But all the reflections that should be there are there. That's right. what makes it look like it's real. Yeah, like even the shadow on the ceiling from the post. Everything is so thought through. It's really there. That's that cool. way the light is exactly the right light on the post and exactly the right light on the monitor. I also had her on the inside bevel to monitor, which you can't see it here, lighten it just a little bit, mm. because if something were on on the monitor, it would cast a little bit of light. Wow. I try and think about that. That's why usually things look fake on screens, is because if it were really on, the screen would affect the shot. That's amazing. So sometimes I'll actually, if I'm shooting a screen, I'll take a piece of paper, put it on the screen, and just shine light into it so it's a bright spot, and then when you go to put something in there, it's actually casting light because you've built that into the shot. Okay. These are the details that make something real. Makes sense. Let's go to another image that I think is probably complicated. You can tell me if it, if it is. Number 58, which is the inside of an office building, like an ocean of cubicles, with a lady taking some paper out of a printer in the foreground. Another Samsung. Yeah. Okay. The shot was done as, as a single composite. Each foreground person, however, was taken from a different frame. Okay. Christina, who's the woman in the front, actually, that was the master frame because her shadows affect a lot of things. But we picked the other two people specifically from other frames. Here was the trick to this one. The light coming out of those, those fluorescents was its very own color. It would have been <laughs> impossible to match with strobe. <laughs> All right. So what I wanted to do is I wanted light on her that wasn't just from above, but was also straight on. So I took 
a Mylar 4x8 panel, which is virtually a mirror. And I put that so it reflected the fluorescent lights, but from a different place. So essentially I added two or three identical fluorescent lights at a different angle to light her. So it's the same quality of light from a different angle. Wow. Same size, same color. Now here I was hoping you were going to tell me that you had them yank one of the lights out of the ceiling for you. <laughs> no. Piece of my life easier. So you, you put your own giant fluorescent fixture then essentially wherever you wanted it. Yeah. That's great. Just by bouncing it. The uh, African-American guy in the blue shirt in the back, he actually has a dado light on him on the side, hitting pretty hard on the side of his face to give him some, some definition. Uh, there's also a data light hitting the guy on the right side, the white guy who's walking. Again, so there's a little bit of light on the front of his face. With those, it's more in the background. You're not going to see the color difference the same way. Okay. Now, the windows are the windows. The office is over the head of the woman. There's a strobe in there lighting it up. Same with the office is over the head of the other guy. And same with the bright spot on the wall that is just kind of touching on the right side or almost touching. Hmm. It okay. needed to be brightness back there to balance the windows and give the room depth. It was dead without it. Okay. We took a bunch of stuff off the walls. We photoshopped the ceiling a little bit cleaner. All those people in the background, those are uh, my makeup artists and <laughs> a few assistants and all the people in the foreground as well. Oh, that's so cool. the black guy and the background on the far left, the same guy. Wow. We just did additional frames and pulled those as separate little pieces. You just don't move the camera. Right. And then you can just make a, a nice loose selection that's feathered. As long as you line it up, it's going to be fine. It doesn't need to be clean right. because it's, right. it's identical at the point where it overlaps. Now, when you, lock, when you lock down on a tripod, do you do anything in terms of, like, sandbagging it or anything like that to make sure that it on doesn't move like at all? On a shot like this, I probably do, and I use a heavy tripod. If I wasn't sandbagged, I should have been, but I'm pretty certain I was, probably two or three. Because if that tripod moves, you start your shoot from scratch. Wow. Is there any color work then done? I mean, it almost has... This is in-camera, color-balanced, then um, lot then uh, using the color temperature, pushed way towards blue and, blue and probably a little bit of green. Okay. And then the only colors in the shot are white and blue and kind of beige and... Everything in the, that's in front of the camera is the same color or in that same pattern. So there is no brown suit to play against it. There's a little bit of brown door in the background, but it was a very controlled shot in terms of palette. Same with the shot on the stairs or on, on the escalator. If you look at that, it's all in the same color palette. Right. So all their outfits and everything were chosen really carefully. Yes. That's why you have a stylist. And by the way, the stylist... If you look on the escalator shot, the woman <laughs> on in, on the left in the polka dotted dress, kind of the fourth person down. That's my stylist. That's Jeannie, and she's very good. Let's go back to uh to seventy six. It is a uh, middle aged adult seated against blue windows. Oh yeah, I know that one. <laughs> uh, the cool thing is, this is all shooting through chairs. Took me forever to set them up, light them. <laughs> Little data lights, try and get some balance. We're just in the conference room shooting through chairs. It was wow. really hard. I'm on the floor looking up at them. I love the, the slight blue halos around all of the objects coming from the windows. And Oh, there's this neat thing 
in, uh, I'm sure it's in Photoshop too, but in my FlexColor software, where I can control the intensity of how much blue in the blues. So wherever there was blue, I really kicked up the blue, which is why his hair gets a little funky too. Hmm. But I did that and played with it, and that's kind of a, it's tweaking things in Photoshop to do that. I've been playing a little bit with that in, in Lightroom when I'm processing my raw images. I'll I'll pick out a, a color of the color palette that I feel is dominant in the shot, and then I'll, I'll either tweak the hue of it or the saturation of it. Y- you can get some really interesting effects like that, like you've done here. Can I go to a different image? Sure. I'm, I've done almost everything I've shot in the last year. I'm very <laughs> proud of that. It means my, my work's getting better. That's right. Well, there's a lot of amazing images. You gave us so many to pick from. We're going to have to do this again. But... um. Shot 83. You said earlier how your philosophy has changed a little bit. Now, this is an image with five gentlemen in some sort of factory or work floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a large hook hanging from the ceiling. What do you, when you have five subjects in the same shot, what, it's, it's a challenge to light them all, uh, the same. Oh, I just panic. <laughs> <laughs> it was a last minute request. They wanted a shot of all of them. I didn't have as much lighting as I'd like, so I had to do it pretty creatively. There's a head hitting the wall in the background, which I discovered looked good bright on one side and dark on the other because when I first set it up, Mm. I had it wrong, and I went, that looks good. Um, Three panels set up across at a distance, so it wrapped a little bit towards the camera, and probably two or maybe three packs bouncing into that to give me as much light on them as I could get. That's are I they did. behind the camera or in front of the camera? They are going from the side of them to probably roughly the same plane as the camera. Okay. Maybe a little behind, maybe a little in front, I don't know. So you're using the panels like almost like a wall and you're bouncing off of the panels. Exactly. Okay. So that big area becomes a large light source. Yeah. Yeah, two or three heads. My guess is I probably would have taken my 2,000 pack and my 1,000 pack and put two heads in the 2,000, one of the 1,000, done it evenly. Okay. But it's whatever worked that day. It's got to be at a distance. When you're lighting a group, the lights have to be somewhat far away and larger so that you don't get too much fall off. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's the challenge that I was that I was hoping that you would talk about. I get a lot of emails from, from folks that are trying to light large groups with, like, two small umbrellas. You can't. Yeah, it's, that's, that's the problem. I mean, it's, yeah, you can light two small people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So you want uh, somewhat far away and a big light source. Mm-hmm. Probably as far as I could practically get it. And when I have more people, I, I usually have some fill from around and over the camera um, bounce into a panel or something like that so that even if they fall completely into shadow, there's enough light on them. Having only five people, I was able to do more, but I will tell you we had to be really careful with shadows. Okay and placement of people and move people to get them exactly this way. This is my single favorite group shot by far. Yeah, it looks wonderful. There's no group shot I like. I've done as much as this ever. It's really cool. We've been talking for exactly an hour, believe it or not. <laughs> it doesn't do. seem like an hour. <laughs> okay, can I plug stuff? Absolutely, yeah, certainly. Okay, I want to do plugs. Um, the big plug that I'd like to do is for my workshop, photographing people for publication. There's one in March, but it's filled, and there's one that is in June. It is three days. It will be all day Friday, all day Saturday, and Sunday until about 5 p.m. It is June 8 to 10. There are still some spaces. 
uh, with the modeling fee, it ends up being, I don't know, it's like 750 plus 150 modeling fee, something in that range. I don't know the exact cost. Um, it is intense. It is hard work. I push like mad, and it will make you a better photographer. If you like the stuff on my podcast, you'll like this. That sounds like a great time. You do a great job of explaining, you know, your approach and explaining what it takes to get a good image. I think that's one of the things that comes through really clear in the way that you talk with us, at least. Well, it has been my pleasure. There's more to talk about here another time. Yeah, absolutely. Man, thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me on and having me do it. Yeah, we do have one more image to uh, to get your critique on, and this is actually one that Bill and I worked on. Uh, we were doing. I'm gonna sh- put it on the end of my web gallery, and I've got it right in front of me. Okay, so this is band portrait. This was uh, we were working with a, a group of people. This actually, the fun part with this location was we figured we probably had about four or five minutes before the cops came to yell at us to leave. <laughs> so, so we have very minimal setup. Okay, I'm going to credit based on the image because in four or five minutes it's not bad. I'd like to see a little more drama on them in the light. Bring the light more to the left side if that's where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I'm distracted by the fence and especially the pole coming out of the guy's head. And most importantly, I think that you need to light the background. I think that the background needs to be given at least as much attention as the foreground. So that would give it depth and dimension. That's why it feels like photographer's light sitting next to the subject, because it's the only light source. That's what makes it feel artificial. Right. If there was some light in the background, even a few spots in the deep background that were very bright, you could push the whole thing down and give it the tone of drama that they seem to have in, in, in their attitude and their presence. Those would be my major crits. Well, we couldn't get behind there because it was locked. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't sit there. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's great. Great advice. Yeah, that's, I, I can't believe I totally missed the poll. That's actually fun to hear to hear that. Well, thank you, Mark, for everything you've shared with us tonight. It's been my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Very good. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the Internet. Be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for the things that we talked about on today's show. And there you can also find links about our photography and keep up with the stuff that we've been shooting. And don't forget, you can send us feedback or questions about the show to studiolighting at gmail.com. And we'll try to answer those questions on the show or in the lighting questions section on studiolighting.net. You can also get feedback on your photography in our Flickr group, which is at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source. Till next time. Take care. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. photocastnetwork.com. <laughs> I hate softboxes. Bad softboxes. Bad, 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 bad. <laughs> It's the outtake right there. There's our outtake for the show. That's great.